For this is what it means to be a king, to be first in every desperate attack and last in every desperate retreat, when there's hunger in the land, as must be now and then in bad years, to wear finer clothes and laugh louder over a scantier meal than any man in your land. Welcome to the Chronicles of Podcast, where we are doing a chapter-by-chapter deep dive into the Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis. I'm Chase. And I'm Kel. Thank you all for joining us today. Just a reminder that today we are talking about the third book in the series, The Horse and His Boy. But general spoiler warning for the whole Narnia series, as well as a heads up that we do go on tangents into other stories that we enjoy. So we'll do our best to give spoiler warnings along the way if there's anything too far out there. But today we are discussing The Horse and His Boy, Chapter 15, Rabidash the Ridiculous, the last chapter in this book. Chase, I find it ridiculous that, like, and I just want our listeners to know that we're going to try really, really hard to not make this, you know, PG-13 and to be family friendly this podcast. Because the big premise of this chapter is that Prince Rabidash gets turned into a donkey, and they use other terms for that, uh, much like Shrek does. Uh, And even Rabidash's name, I could change it really with one letter at the very end to make his name way funnier for this chapter, but we won't. I didn't even think of that. Oh, Chase, I've got a lot of jokes that I can't make. And so I just want our listeners to know, we're really funny. But we're going to keep it clean. Uh, man, any parents listening to this podcast better thank us. You better send us $5 right now. Yeah. Go support us on self-control our non-existent Patriots podcast. <laughs> send us some microphones so that we can have really good sound quality. Ones that work with my computer, preferably, because the last one I had did not. <laughs> yeah. That's how you could repay us. Uh, but so all that to say. Uh, I'm going to give us a summary, Chase. So our crew uh, has rounded the bend of the castle, Edward, and King Loon Dad uh, comes out to meet them. The king greets Erebus with a kiss on the hand and said how he had heard of her valor in their journeys. She shares how actually it was his son, Shastakor, who had rocked a lion and saved her. A story that he was delighted to hear and that Shastakor was embarrassed to hear told over and over again. He then turns to Bree and Wynne and greets them just as politely. Then... Queen Lucy comes out and greets them. She was helping get Erebus's bedroom and clothes ready, and the two of them were great friends. Uh, and, you know, what other things can girls do in this story besides decorate? Uh, and after this, they had lunch and discussed what to do with Rabidash. Uh, they agreed not to execute him and have him brought before them for a somewhat trial. But as they begin to give their terms for releasing him, he begins to hurl insults and demands a fight. Then Corin wants to box him, a child. But Shastakor realizes that Aslan has appeared among them and the lion went before Rabidash to caution him to accept the mercy of the king and lay aside his pride and anger, whatever, you know, pride he has left and whatever anger he has reason for. Rabidash makes a face and then yells at Aslan for being a demon and continues to yell curses at him. And Aslan gives him one more warning. And when Rabidash would not relent, the lion says his doom has come upon him. And everyone begins laughing at Rabidash as he slowly transforms from a man into a donkey. That's the word. 
donkey and lost his ability to speak. And Aslan then told him that justice was mixed with mercy. Rabadash had appealed to Tash, and it was only in the temple of Tash that he would be healed. And everyone would know him to be Prince Rabadash, but he appeared more than 10 miles from that temple. He would turn back into a donkey, and there would be no return from that. Then suddenly, Aslan was gone, and the donkey remained. King Loon offered sympathy and a ship back to Tashban for the prince, to which the donkey rudely kicked at a guard. Even so, Rabadash was sent back by boat. He went to the Temple of Tash and was seen by all as he transformed back into the prince. And after his father died, when he became Tizrak, may he live for a certain amount of time, uh, he uh, became one of the most peaceful of all time because he could not go to war himself and he was too jealous jealous to let other people go to war for him to his feet to his face people called him rabidash the peacemaker but behind his back he was called rabidash the ridiculous bird uh with rabidash gone the Archenlanders and narnians uh throw a feast with songs and poets and stories and king dad loon finally said it was time for the young people to go to bed but the next day core would see the whole castle since it was his birthright and he would be king when he was gone core objects saying that surely corin would be better because you know he's been raised uh as the you know heir apparent this whole time uh but core was older by 20 minutes and we will not ignore that fact it's important uh and so therefore he had to be king and there's nothing that the king can do than follow the law it's not like the king could change the law like a king uh that'd be crazy um the king said that being the king was hard and we learned that corin went on to be a great boxer and erevis also fought with shastakor so much that they just got married uh because you know that's what married people do is just fight all the time so might as well make it convenient right that's definitely not toxic uh the horses also got married dot 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 but not to each other, thank the Lord, because Wynn deserves way better than Bree. And they visited Archelain often, and they lived happily ever after. Yay! Oh, so fun to have a story wrapped up with marriage. Marriage is what brings fighters together today. Yep, yep. Man, so by becoming a donkey, he becomes less of a donkey, is what I'm taking away. He's a the fill, literal, fill in whatever words you want to fill in there. The word we're going for, mule. Mule is what we were talking yes. about. <laughs> <laughs> that was what we were going for. No, so we, we come upon the castle Anvard, and King Dadloon comes out to meet them. Uh, and Erevis is like, wow, he's not what I expected a king to look like at all. Because, you know, he's just come from, like, the kennels with his huntsmen. And he's, like, kind of, like gross because he's like covered in like dog hand and like yeah. he's, he's i like of, that the word doggy hand was he, uh he hadn't had a moment to wash his doggy hands which i like to think means king loon didn't have gross hands but instead had little dog paws <laughs> <laughs> he was a huge stocky guy with dog paws little dog paws that's uh canon that's, that's actually that's, adorable that makes this king much more endearing this is a canon according to, to C.S. Lewis. I'm just the, you know, I'm just the reader here. Okay. He does uh, have doggy hands. But even though he looked gross and disgusting, the bow he gave uh, to Erevis was stately enough for an emperor. And then he calls her a little lady and tips his hat to her. Uh, <laughs> and, and is like, oh, I'm sorry that my wife wasn't alive. Like, she'd be able to, you know, greet you better. Uh, and I'm sorry, you know, about all your misfortunes. But man, looks out, look how brave you are. And she's like, well. You know, it's actually the brave one is your son, Shastakor. He's the one that jumped at a lion and told him to go home. 
Uh, and he's like, really? Tell me this story. And this is, it's really fun because he writes this little paragraph where he's like, uh, talk about how Cor was like, he wants the story told, but he didn't want to tell him himself. And then once it gets told, he's like, oh man, this is kind of embarrassing. I don't like people talking about me, which is such a relatable set of like experiences where you're like, I want people to celebrate my birthday, but I don't want people to know, like, I don't want to tell people it's my, my birthday. But then once people start like acknowledging it, you're like, oh, this feels like, I don't like people. Especially when it's your dad and it's that like back and forth of, well, I want him to be proud of me, but I need him to stop telling everybody how proud he is of me. This is not You're about my son. Told the lion to go home. <laughs> and, it, and it worked. <laughs> he did it. Jumped off a horse and everything. Oh, man. I mean, he's got to have something to brag about after that embarrassing fight. You, to, for real, bro. Like, I mean, he's, I guess this is good for, you know, Core's reputation for now. You know, he's going to become a great sword fighter later, uh, you know, somehow. Uh, but uh, so he's, you know, they're telling all these stories and it's great. And then the king turns to Quinn and Bree and, you know, is just very polite to them. And I, there's this little line where it goes, the horses were rather tongue tied where they weren't yet used to being talked to as equals by humans, grown-up humans, that is. They didn't mind Erebus and Shastakor. Uh, yeah, the only real humans are adults. Which Everyone is, knows this. I agree with that now. This is, uh, there was a Babylon Bee article that I, I relate to a lot that was like, a uh, student pastor finally promoted to real ministry. Uh, and <laughs> I was like, thank goodness I don't have to deal with, or like, I'm finally able to do ministry with real people now. Uh, and it's like, it's really funny because it's really sad how many people view teenagers that way where they're like, ah, y'all don't even matter. Like y'all aren't even real humans. And it's like, maybe like, don't. Yeah. Uh, like that's mean and like not true. The best thing to do with the uh, youth is just to hide them in the furthest corner of the church, the furthest darkest corner where no one can see or smell or hear them. And then whenever they turn 18, they can uh, go through membership class. Yeah. Uh, and there's no way that any of them will ever leave the church because uh, you've cared for them so well by putting them in the dark, stinky corner of the church. And yeah. And teaching actually, them that going to church is all about playing games and loud music, not about community. Bingo. Uh, so, uh, you know, without getting into a commentary on the state of youth ministry in America, uh, we... So the, the horses are like, oh, man, this guy's actually treating us with respect. That's cool. And then who, who'd have known? Queen Lucy comes out uh, and starts talking to Erebus. And uh, she's like, oh, like, how fun. We get to go decorate your apartments now. They're great. They're right over here. And they skip off holding hands as girls do because they would never fight and talk about battles and things like that. They would just go and decorate. Yeah, they go to decorate and talk about getting clothes for Erebus because that's the thing, sorts of things. Literally, this is written down in this book. They go to talk about Erebus's bedroom and Erebus's boudoir about getting clothes for her and all the sorts of things girls do talk about on such an occasion. Yep. This is not us making sexist jokes. This is written in this book. Yep. This is, this is all they can do. This is what girls do, yeah. I assume. Uh, you know, really passes the Bechdel test here. Yeah. Does Quinn go and join them 
Does she get her? Does she get her hose painted uh, as the girls all get a you know little pedicure? Like well, uh, horses only get to be talked to like humans, but they don't get treated like humans. She's got to stay in the stable because she's not a real person. So, mm. yeah. but it's okay. She still finds a husband at the end. Thank God, because you know who else is going to talk for her? It's about uh, time. She's getting pretty old. She's like five. <laughs> She's an old maid. Uh, oh man, that's sad. Uh, but uh, King Loon, you know, they they all go and eat lunch, and uh, King King Dad Loon, uh, you know, he's like, "Oh yeah, like we totally forgot about Rabidash, uh, that sorry creature. I guess we'll kind of have to figure out what to do with them." Uh, and then they basically have this little like you know dialogue with all of the. All of the different, uh, the cores and Corins and Darren, and Darren and uh, you know Cole and Colin and Paradin and Paradin. Uh, I don't know who knows, um, but all of the people are talking. And Edmund and Lucy are also there, and they're discussing what to do with him. And they're basically like, "Well, you know, you'd be right to kill him because he basically was like acting as an assassin with two hundred people." Uh, and like, and then Edmund is like, "Well, you know, it's very true, but even a traitor may mend." I have known one that did, and he looked very thoughtful, wistfully into the cam, into into the into the you know space behind the camera, thinking through you know what like what 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 was it that Edmund had experienced uh, about a traitor, you know coming to like repentance? Who knows? Just hear the witch laughing in the background. All traitors belong to me. And then Aslan saying no. <laughs> Be gone, witch. <laughs> uh, before we move on from that as, part. As Ludacris once said, move, witch. <laughs> uh, is Edmund sitting on one side of this table and literally everybody else sitting on the other side of the table? Um, so, because I think that's how this is set up. Yeah, more or less. So let's, so this is it. it he, this is one of those things where it's like, for whatever reason, C.S. Lewis decides to give us the seating arrangement. Because, because it's necessary to understand the scene. Necessary. It says Lucy was sitting on the king's right and Erebus on the king's left. I think we can assume the king is at the head of the table. Uh, so he's at, you know, Lucy's on left. Erebus is, or uh, Lucy's on the king's right. Erebus is on the left. King Edmund sat at one end of the table and Lord Darren faced him from the other. So maybe Lord Darren is. At the head of the table. So if Edmund is on one end, we know that Darren is at the other end. And then Dare and Paradin and Cor and Corin are on the same side as the king, who's on the same side as Lucy and Erevis, but Edmund is on the opposite side from them. So maybe, maybe there's only one person at the head. Edmund and Perrin are like across from each other at the other end of the table, but not at the head. They're just kind of at the corners. And then everyone else is far on the other side near I the like king. I picture it this way. And this is not great for an audio medium, but I picture it king here, paired in here, everybody here. So everyone's on one side. It's real, uh, real uh, Last Supper vibes where everyone's sitting at the same side of the table except for Edmund. It's the Last Supper, but Edmund is taking the picture. Makes sense. I can dig it. And that's why Edmund is wise. Because yeah. someone's got to take the picture. 
Well, yeah. because physically he's got to be on one side because metaphorically he's on one side while everybody else is on the other side. It's a metaphor. Of killing rapid That actually happened. Uh, so Edmonds is like, eh, you know, maybe, you know, traitors can mend their ways. And then Darren's like, well, if we kill Rabidash, that would basically be like starting a war with the Tisrock. And then King Dadloon is like, bah, like, like a fig for the Tisrock. What does that mean? A fig for the Tisrock? Like, you know, figs, famously those poisonous things that you don't put into Newton cookies. Figs, the confrontational fruit. Uh, <laughs> it's, as they're known in the cast. King does seem like the Enneagram 9 of uh, Warlords. Yeah, maybe. Uh, so, get out of the way here. I don't. I don't want to. I don't want to disrupt anything. I don't. I don't want to get in your way. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. But he goes. His strength is in numbers, and numbers will never cross the desert. I have no stomach for killing men in cold blood, uh, even traitors. To have cut his throat in battle would have been one thing, but this is a different. Like I like this line. It basically kind of gives the difference between like there's a difference between like killing someone in battle versus like just killing someone straight up like because who's gonna tell the tizrock whether he died in battle or in execution which i know that's the wrong takeaway but it's a great point though i mean you could easily say that he died in his attack and the tizrock has already said hey if if you die i will not mourn you i've got 17 other kids knowing that the tizrock does not care if his son dies is uh okay yeah it feels like it's they they'd be in the clear either way yeah but they don't know this necessarily uh and then lucy is like we should give him another trial and let him go free on the promise that he'll be good in the future yeah, and it's like yeah. okay and, and then Edmund goes, it yeah. always works and, and like bad guy go and telling him don't do that again Nice finger wag at him, and then you let him go. But then Edmund's like, yeah, and maybe apes will grow honest, sister. Uh, But by the lion, if he breaks it again, maybe may it be in such a time and place that any of us could swap off his head in clean battle. Do they not know any honest apes? There's got to be talking apes in Narnia. I mean, to be fair, the only talking ape that I can think of is the talking ape from the last battle, and he is not an honest ape. He's a bad dude. I mean, that feels like weird prejudice for Edmund to have, though. That's like yeah. saying that well, you, so, I mean, orcs are bad, even though you've known one or two good ones. Let's not. He's, he's never met some beaver talk here. He's never met a good dwarf. He's never. <laughs> all talking apes are dishonest. That's this feels racist. This is not. They probably. Which, I mean, I feel like this is the proper term, the proper use of racism, because apes are a different race than humans. I mean, they're different species, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, this feels prejudiced, for sure. Uh, But, all that to say, like, he's like, yeah, like, his point is being like, yeah, and, like, people who are bad will, you know, just change their stripes somehow. Like, I don't know. Whatever that's, but moving on, he he's like, you know, if he ever breaks his word, you know, hopefully one of us could just chop his head off in battle. That's they true. Start I guess a small battle with him by letting yeah Corin box with him. 
and then chop Which it. Which apparently, well, we'll talk about this later. Corin, quite the accomplished boxer. Uh, he loves in, the fist in, fight. Especially with, you know, talking bears. That's a hook for y'all for later. Uh, but, so the king is like, okay, he's going to be tried. Send for the prisoner. And I love this where it's like, you would look at him and think that he was like, had been tortured and imprisoned for days uh, with no food or water. But in reality, he'd been in a comfortable room and had provided like an excellent supper. You know, he's comfortable, but he was so furious and just sulking a lot that he looked like he was in despair. Uh, and it feels like, like propaganda. It's like you bring out the prisoner and be like, look, I know he looks bad, but we promise he had a real comfortable room and a real nice supper. Yeah. The, the supper was water that we draped over a towel that was covering his mouth. Uh, hold on. That's called waterboarding. That might be torture. Um, shoot. The supper, we, we, um, he was being eaten by rats. Sorry, we gave him food to eat. Uh, we filled the room with perfectly edible rats. I hate it. But yeah, so he comes in, he's like in a real grumpy mood and he's cursing at everyone. And King Loon is trying so hard to be polite and trying to be civil and all of this. And he's like, hey, you know, by all like by the law and by prudent policy of like every nation, we'd be like we deserve like we have every right to kill you. but." We, you know, we've decided to let you go free on these conditions. Uh, and Rabidash is like, curse you for a barbarian dog. It's intense, man. That's yeah. Rabidash has a lot of fun phrases in this chapter. He, he goes does. real hard on insulting everybody and basically just curses them all out for a long period of time. Um Everybody jumps to their feet for a reason that will be said later. And then Corin asks if he can box him, which again, child, adult, also box is in italics for some reason. Not sure why. But anyways, King Loon is like, we gotta, we gotta have some gravity here. We gotta be the bigger people. And Rabidash just keeps on being like, Oh, this, every insult you heat on me shall be paid with oceans of your blood and the bolt of Tash falls from above. And then uh, all this stuff goes on and suddenly they realize that Aslan is there. He just hey, came appeared, you know, as he does. And, as he does. Yeah, the lion goes up in front of Rabidash and is basically like, look, bruh, your doom is near. You can avoid it. Chill out. Then Rabidash just keeps on cursing at him, cursing at him. And then well, first he gives, this is the description that he goes, then Rabidash rolled his eyes and spread out his mouth into a horrible, long, mirthless grin like a shark and wagged his ears up and down. Anyone who can learn how to do this if they take the trouble, and he had always found this really effective in Calamine, and people had been intimidated. What Rabidash hadn't realized is that it's very easy to frighten people who know you can have them boiled alive the moment you give the word. It that's, I mean, sure, but also 
is that true that anyone can learn how to wag their ears up and down? I don't think that is true. I think that's like you kind of have to have like some special like mus muscular like I don't I don't tendency. Think I, ha- I think my ears are just attached to my head. I don't think they move. I can flare my nostrils, but I can't waggle my ears. And like but yeah, nose is fine, but I can't I mean yeah. Can't wag my uh, ear. Radovich has some good facial control. He's like the Jim Carrey of of feels, yeah. Like this, this grin is a very like Grinchy grin. Like this is a very like and like you know the grin spreads all the way up to his ears. Yeah. You know, Somehow very like his face expands by twice the width. Yes, very like Bruce from Finding Nemo kind of grin. Uh, but it's so he he goes through this and expects to intimidate a lot of people. And no one cares. Lucy's like, is he sick? Is he is he dying? Uh, and then, like, Rabidash is like, demon, I know you. You are that foul fiend of Narnia. You are the enemy of the gods. Learn who I am, horrible phantasm. I am descended from Tash, the inexorable, the irresistible. The curse of Tash is upon you. Lightning in the shape of scorpions shall be rained on you. The mountains of Narnia shall be ground into dust. The... And then Aslan just cuts him off. And he's like, dude. You need to shut up. Like, just chill, chill for a little bit. Because he's like, it "Was near before. It's even it's near now. now. In fact, it's at the door. It's lifted the latch." You're like the doom is presently approaching. The more you speak, please stop speaking. And Rabidash is he like get you know give this to him, dude is eloquent, dude. Oh, yeah. you know, dude knows how to. Metaphors. He's got. Yeah. Also, let's not turn a phrase. Let the skies fall. Let the earth gape. Let blood and fire obliterate the world. But be sure I will never desist till I have dragged to my palace by her hair the barbarian queen, the daughter of dogs, the sultan of swat, the the, the colossus of clout, the the colossus of clout, the great bambino. Wait, hold on. I got in the sorry. I was in the zone from the sandlot there. Uh, but he hey, just. Kel, what time is it? Uh, what time is it? Ten seventeen. Has the hour struck? The hour has struck now. It is oh, struck. No. It is striking. And Rabidash saw to his supreme horror that everyone began to laugh. That's his biggest horror is humiliation, which is an interesting thing because what's about to happen is you know he's been waggling his ears in a big toothy grin. He's moving his ears and then whoop, they get turned into big, long, gray, furry ears. Uh, covered with hair, and then, uh, oh, no, his face begins to grow longer, and, you know, his eyes are getting larger, and, uh, you know, his, uh, like, his body begins to change, and his arms are growing longer, and his back is getting flatter, and then his hands are resting on the ground, and then his hands turn into hoofs, oh, no, and then, boom, he's a donkey. 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 Yeah, it, uh, basically, Aslan is the parent counting down from three, and he actually got. He meant it. He actually got all the way counted down instead of stopping at like two and a half. And uh, but yeah, when Aslan said the hour is struck, Rabidash just turns in to unmistakably a donkey, and thankfully also loses his speech. Because... But right after, right after he becomes a donkey, because he yeah. goes, "Oh no, not a donkey! Mercy! If it were even a horse!" <laughs> <laughs> that's me that's me uh, reading this yeah he uh i mean it's 
a fitting punishment for all the reasons that could be said but won't be. But it's uh, Aslan does have this great line that justice shall be mixed with mercy. And because this is a family-friendly podcast, we can't say the rest of the sentence. You shall but, not always be an... And it starts with a vowel. He's an and. You shall not always and, be a donkey. And, and, and donkey. And donkey. A capital letter donkey, too. It's not just lowercase. <laughs> it is capitalized. Yeah, he's making he's sure that we know that it's a, uh, it's a personal pronoun whenever he's calling him this. And what's funny, like the reason he does this, and like the reason we're making these jokes and want to make these jokes so much, but won't say the word, is because that word both means donkey and it means someone who is jerk. like a foolish, arrogant jerk. It is like, it is, you know, in, in addition to also being, you know, a, a part of your anatomy. Uh, but what's fun is that in this children's book, C.S. Lewis does actually use it in both ways. Like he is playing with the language here. Unfortunately, we've just, we've made a commitment to this podcast. We're committed. Uh, uh, we may, you know, we may reference some like, you know, adult humor every now and then, but we're going to try our best to stay family friendly. Uh, but he goes, you will not always be a donkey. Uh, and he goes, you've appealed to Tash. And so in the temple of Tash, you're going to be healed. Uh, and he goes, what, like, once you get back to, you know, Tash, and once you get back to Tash, or to Tash Band, uh, you go to the temple, stand at the altar, uh, and you will be transformed in front of everyone from a donkey to Prince Rabidash. But as long as you live, you may not go more than 10 miles away from the temple, or you'll instantly become a donkey again, and you will never change back. Uh, and then there was a short silence, and they looked to see where Aslan was, and then poof. He's gone again. The king of the Irish goodbye. Yeah, Aslan does not say goodbye, does not care how you feel about it. Uh, <laughs> he is not a tame lion. Yeah. He goes you know where he does leaves. care how you feel about it? King Dad. King, king Dad, Dad changes his tune completely to be like, oh man, that sucks, bro. Uh, could we like get you a boat and like some good carrots and thistles and stuff? And yeah. And Rabidash, not a big fan of his kindness, but they end up sending him with a boat anyways back to Tashban. And uh, yeah, we basically get the whole of the rest of Rabidash's life here. Yeah. Where he goes to the Temple of Tash at the Great Autumn Festival and becomes a man again. And four or 5,000 people sees the transformation, so there's no way to cover it up. Uh, and when the Tisrock dies, Rabidash, for whatever reason, still becomes Tisrock. I feel Somehow. like it could have been dealt with other ways, but whatever. It's not like he has 16 other sons. Um, who didn't get turned into donkeys. Yeah, yeah, who wouldn't be embarrassments to the kingdom. But uh, but yeah, anyways, Rabidash becomes Tisrock. And basically, because he can't go more than 10 miles from Tashban, he can never go to war. And he didn't want his Tarkins to win fame in the wars at his expense because that's how Tisrocks get overthrown. And so he just stops going to war. And it's like the most peaceful reign of all time. 
And so people to his face call him Rabidash the Peacemaker, but then behind his back, he's called Rabidash the Ridiculous. And apparently, if you look it up in school books in Callerman, that's what he's known by, which is a weird aside for C.S. Lewis. If you do anything stupid, you're usually going to be called a second Rabidash. Uh, yep. It sounds like he never really changed that much, you know, personality wise. Um, he was you know, maybe a little bit more calm, but at the end of the day, he still sounds like he was kind of a donkey hole. But yeah, uh, yeah, that that's what happens when a donkey falls into a pit, right? <laughs> you know, uh, I think he's just a real dumb donkey, uh, but <laughs> but it is uh, what it is. But meanwhile, at Anvard. <laughs> That's that's how the next paragraph starts. <laughs> it's not just us transitioning. Meanwhile, at Anvard, uh, this is very like Powerpuff Girls uh, kind of thing, where it's just like transitions over to another area. But uh, we've seen like, the entire future of Calorman, so now we've got to see the entire future of. You see, you see the future of one king because we'll get to the distant future of Calorman in a long time, and it is not quite so peaceful. Well, we'll get to that like. A year from now. I hope. <laughs> Knowing how roughly how many chapters are in each book, probably a little over a year, probably like a year and a quarter, if there's about 15 to 17 chapters per book. Yeah, if, if we got them through three books, if we get through another three books in the next year, then we should be like starting the last one in about a true. year. That's true. Okay, fair point, because we only have to start it. We don't have to end it. Uh, but so back at Anvard, everyone is, uh, they're feasting and they're having a grand old time and the King decides to bring out his poet, uh, with two fiddlers and, you know, Erebus and Shostakor, they're, you know, prepared cause they've heard Calamine poetry and they're bored and they're not excited about it. But at the very first scrape of the fiddles, a rocket seemed to go up inside their heads because if you're gonna, if you're gonna play in Archenland, you better have a fiddler in the band. Yeah. Um, it turns out that poetry in Archon Land is just country music, <laughs> but like, but like Texas country, where it it's a very fiddle heavy. Uh, it's it's uh, you know it's good dancing music. Pash band went down to Georgia. <laughs> Pash went down to Georgia looking for a for a donkey to to, to steal, <laughs> and he got it. He got it. They found one. Uh, and the story. He didn't even need to, you know, play a song with his golden fiddle. Uh, but he, so they, you know, they're having a good old time and uh, everyone's like laughing and it's great. And they're telling stories and, you know, they're, you know, Bree, you know, tells their, like one of his stories and Lucy uh, tells everyone, you know, everyone else has heard the story except for, you know, Erebus and Kor. Somehow Bree and Wynn have heard this story. Uh, but not Erebus and Shostakor, uh, the tale of the wardrobe and how she and King Edmund and Queen Susan and Peter the High King had first come into Narnia. Got to make sure that the audience still remembers that this is an actual Narnian book, because yeah. though we didn't really do any Narnia stuff. It, still, it was a really yeah. weird amount of Tumnus. It was basically like, well, I walked through this wardrobe and there was Mr. Tumnus. And then Mr. Tumnus got came back. Up, so we had to go save Mr. Tumnus. Can you imagine and, the books told from Lucy's point of view and how like Tumnus centric it would be? Uh, yeah, it's uh, it, 
I mean, there was already too much. We don't need to add more. That's my nightmare. Uh, but um, so then King Dadloon got to remind everyone that not only is he king, but he's King Dad. And he's like, well, time for the young people to go to bed because it's bedtime, even though I've never met my you know son before. And he's been traveling, you know, a journey for, you know, hundreds of miles. Uh, it's bedtime because tomorrow, you know, I've got to show King uh, Prince Kor uh, all the future estate uh, because, you know, he's going to be king when I'm dead. And then Shastakor is like, wait, what? Like, I thought Corin was going to be king because, you know, he's been raised here his whole life and knows everything about being a king. And I don't know anything. And then King Luna's is like, nope, sorry, your crown. Like, that's the law. And he's like, couldn't you just change the law? He's like, nope. What do you think I am? The king? Nope. <laughs> it's illegal for you not to be king. So there you go. So do you want to break the law, idiot? <laughs> yeah, it's a very, uh, it's a very simple excuse for why he can't get out of it but uh but yeah king loon basically is just like in life and also it's the harder version of it and corin is gonna have a lot more fun than you and your life is gonna suck so take that that's what you get for being born 20 minutes earlier you should have thought about that before you crawled out your mother's womb yep too bad she's not here to give any commentary on this but there's no women in court (laughs) no women in court save for erevis and a one woman at court and when but she doesn't count (laughs) she doesn't Uh, so but yeah it's like hey sorry man you were born 20 minutes earlier life's gonna be really hard for you and uh and corin is like huzzah i don't have to be king i'm always gonna be a prince and princes have way more fun which is if i know anything about the royal family it's unfortunately true uh which i mean especially the redheaded twin um and well he's okay let's be real he's the best He's awesome. I mean, he's like a so, he's so like far a so good. He's tracking he's like, upward. He's like a ripped Ed Sheeran. He's great. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what more could you want? Uh, yeah, it's, uh, I I'm looking forward to like the saga of their children and when they go and overthrow the British crown. It's going to be oh, a good time. The second revolution. Uh, <laughs> he he's commanding the American army. This is crazy. This is fanfic in real life. This is America takes over Britain using the former British uh, heir to the throne. I love this it. Is, this is great. Can he have a George Washington hat or mask on? I think he's required to. I think it'd be illegal for him not to. <laughs> I love it. Let's make it happen. Sorry, Britain. We didn't make the rules. Uh, yeah. How it has to go. But. King Dadloon uh, is like, yep, sucks to suck, Cor, because, you know, your brother's going to have a lot of fun as a prince. But for you, you know, everything's going to be really hard. Like, King has to be the first one to attack, the last one to, you know, leave a retreat. And then when everyone's hungry, you've got to put on a great face and eat, you know, less than anyone else and be happier than anyone else about it. Uh, and it's like, I really enjoy these things, like his description of a king here, where yeah. it's like, yeah, like a king should be noble in these ways. It's but very also, noble like, and idealistic. It's also very unrealistic. I know no kings in history who have ever acted in this way. Exactly the opposite of what a king acts like. Right. Because a king gets fed more than any other person, does not generally fight in the battles. Like, otherwise you'd lose your king. Yeah, it's... Uh, you if know, you've ever played chess, you don't put your king on the front line. 
because that's how you lose. You don't put your king in front of your pawns when you line up your chess pieces? Bold strategy. I like it. See how it plays out. (laughs) But, yeah, it is is a nice idea. If only it was true. But, uh, but yeah, either way, we basically flash forward and learn that Kor and Corin get in a lot of fights, but that's cool though, because Corin becomes a famous boxer who fights talking bears. He wrote, so he fights, this is, this is what it says. It says he fought a giant talking bear who had forgot that he was a talking bear and had gone back to wild bear habits. And so Corin climbs up. Uh, this like mountain and on top of this mountain he goes 33 rounds with a boxing talking bear and until uh, he's hit him so many times that the bear can't see out of its eyes and becomes a reformed character man the bear becomes a Calvinist that's crazy it's reformed Uh, (laughs) he's all of a sudden punched him and then boom total depravity another (laughs) one Boom! Unconditional election. Get out of here with your nonsense. Uh, that would be surprising, knowing C.S. Lewis. But you know, whatever. Um, but yeah, so Corin boxes a talking bear back into civility, uh, but he's not as good as a swordsman as Cor. Somehow, uh, I don't even though you know Cor does not like to fight. It is not good at it, and got like fell off of a horse. You yeah, know, whatever. Yeah. But you know who else gets in fights with Core? Erebus. So this is here's the thing, listener. It says that Erebus and Core got into so many quarrels, but they always made up. But years later, when they were grown up, they got so used to quarreling and making up again that they got married so as to go on doing it more conveniently. Because that's how marriage works. This is so this is like the, the trope of like you know, like, oh, like, marriage is just, you know, button heads with your wife, like, you're always fighting and making up, like, that's not how marriage works, that's not how a good marriage works, like, Uh, you should not, have you not seen Everybody Loves Raymond? Come on. Like, yeah, but do you know what he is not good as? A husband? Like, do you know what most, like, TV sitcom husbands are not good as? Husbands. Like, if you're constantly... If you're constantly like getting in fights with your spouse, like this is not a good representation of marriage. Like this is this is one of those tropes that really annoys me because if you I have you fought more, you would uh, be we'd have a better marriage. Yeah, if only we fought and argued more. Uh, no, like this is this is not what marriage should be like, nor has to be like. This is a you're setting up bad expectations for people going into marriage. And I understand this is what a lot of people assume. Like this was kind of the funny trope of marriage for the longest time was like, yeah, we're, you know, like husbands and wives are just so different. They always fight. It's like, that's not how it has to be. And that's not how God designed marriage. And all you're doing is setting up people to like expect toxicity in their relationships you're going oh no like if you fight with your boyfriend like that's fine like you should just stay together because that's what husbands and wives do no if you fight all the time with your boyfriend don't stay in that relationship if you fight all the time maybe consider why you're fighting and like like our our you know example of marriage is jesus loving the church and laying his life down for the church and the church 
loving the loving Jesus so much that they're willing to put aside their identity for Jesus. Like this is loving submission to each other. This is respect and unity, not oh the church and Jesus are just bickering all the time, like classic marriage couple. Like that's stupid. So no. Cal, when else has evangelical Christianity ever taught boys and girls to expect toxic relationships in their marriages? You know, a lot, all the time. I don't know, man. It's uh, it's not great, but I don't like this. Uh, and so, yeah, we'll, uh, yeah, this is, you know, at the end of it, this is like the la- one of the last things that like gets said. Uh, and like right after this is basically like, yeah, and once King Loon died, like Kor- or Shastakor becomes king. Uh, and, you know, he, you know, him and uh, Erebus have, you know, a kid and, you know, from their lineage becomes the greatest king of, uh, of Archland, Ram the Great. Uh, and everyone lives happy and like Bree and Huynh get married, but not to each other because Huynh deserves way better than that. Uh, and they come and visit a lot and everyone lives happily ever after. And that's how the book ends. It's just, that's just how it goes. It, ends. it just ends. It just ends. Just being like, yep. And everything's fine now. So, yep. Uh, okay. you know. Have fun, uh, Chase. Let's let's uh. You want to dive real quick into further up and further in? Yeah, I will uh, go first real quick. Uh, so my further up and further in is about the flash forwards. So basically, this chapter was the part at the end where you wrap up the last bits of plot tension and then flash forward to show how it all turned out. Uh, it's another classic trope. You've been on a journey with these characters. You've invested in their well-being. So it's only natural that you'd want to see how it all turns out. This is why we have the weird epilogue to Harry Potter, right? Like, the downside to this sort of thing is that it assumes that nothing changes between now and the rest of their lives, as if people only have one difficult moment to go through before they live happily ever after. Plus, it's weird that everybody has to be married to be happy. Uh, but anyways, it's nice to see the consequences of Rapidash's actions and the good future waiting for our heroes. And for that, we're glad to see it. Love to see it, you know, wrap up all the loose ends and uh, just never question it. Uh, my further up and further in, we've talked about it a lot through this book in particular, but it's just this idea of justice and what justice actually looks like. We saw, we have seen justice kind of dealt with with Erebus in the last chapter, we've seen justice dealt with, uh, you know, somewhat uh, with with Bree, where he's, you know, being humbled. Um, and you've seen it now with Rabadash the Ridiculous, where he is turned into a donkey to represent, uh, you know, his reality and his personality as a donkey. Uh, and so it, it leaves us questioning, you know, what exactly is justice what does it mean to act justly uh both in the real world and the world of narnia um and i i think that is a it's a question that is going to be explored throughout all of the books really uh, and especially as we're you know leading into prince caspian the next book i'm really excited to see how you know justice kind of you know interacts because we're about to go and see a uh a, a, a like a, a boy who is the proper you know ruler you know heir to the throne being deposed and you know you know being kicked out of his land and then trying to earn that back and you know acting honorably and justly there um you know we're going to get to see a lot of what that looks like and i'm excited to kind of continue to dive into this idea of justice but chase you know at the end even though we fight and we bicker and we quarrel 
that really just makes this a better podcast, I think. Uh, so, you know, if you want to continue uh, on this quarreling, fighting, bickering journey with us, you can marry this podcast by sharing it with your friends. Uh, and, and you can find us anywhere you find podcasts, Audible, Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts. Uh, if you can rate and review us five stars that'll really show us uh, and you'll be able to quarrel with us even better uh, by leaving us a comment on uh, you know in a, a rate and review us and you know if you want to fight us even more you know go to go to instagram at the chronicles of podcast quarrel with us there leave us some comments let us know what you like what you dislike let it like share it with all your friends so they can quarrel with us as well uh, but chase we everything you know ends up as it is uh, it's all it's all great you know, Aslan's turned everyone into donkeys, uh, and uh, you know, it's time to head to Prince Caspian. Finally, I do. It's about time. It's about time. We'll see you next week for chapter one of Prince Caspian. Bye. Okay. All right, you got to roll. Yeah, my mom has been hovering outside the door for like twenty minutes. Okay. Well, at least it's your mom, and not like a like a meeting with a co-worker or something like that yeah it's her office too though and she needs to get to her computer which is fair enough but uh, all right well later friend see you later